Well, all right. Well, welcome back. As I said, I'm Warren Dawson, and this is The Shakedown. Glad to have you with us uh, today. I want to continue and hopefully finish up our talk on use of force. Uh, we talked about in the, the first episode about use of force, the fact that we, we have a liability uh, to the uses of force that we have to uh, we have to do as a part of being a corrections officer it's going to happen and then we talked about last time the standards uh, the supreme court have given us has given us to to base whether or not our use of force is reasonable these are the standards that uh, the courts are going to use so therefore it's a good idea let's get it ahead of the game and let's let's justify our uses of force based upon those standards. And we said that uh, the tests that they are, the standards they've given us were the sadistic and malicious test. And the way we uh, we implement that is we use those five factors that the Supreme Court has given us, uh, the threat perceived by the responsible officer, uh, whether in light of that perceived threat, number two, it was reasonable to infer that force was necessary. I saw, I heard, whatever the case may be, I realized this was going on, and it's reasonable to infer that I'm going to have to respond. I'm going to have to do something about that. Number three, that whether efforts were made to temper the severity of force, that I have the opportunity, excuse me, that I have the opportunity to use a lower level of force, that I try officer presence, that I try verbal commands, that I try articulation of consequences, uh, that I try soft hand tactics, et cetera, et cetera, that I make the effort, if possible, to use a lower level of force. So there's that. Number four, the amount of force used in relation to the need of force. Do those line up? Uh, the amount of force that I use, does it line up with uh, the perception uh, of the need for force that is there. Uh, and then number five, whether the injury suffered, if there were any injuries, whether those injuries suffered uh, by the prisoner were of greater severity than the circumstances would justify. Do those line up? The inmate was injured. Does it line up with what I said the amount of my force uh, that I needed to use was? So today, we want to talk about is, okay, the use of force is over. We're done. They may secured and they've been checked by medical. Um, we're done with the use of force. Everybody's, everybody's okay. Uh, we've got it cleaned up, so from the so on. And now what? Well, for many of us, now the hard part <laughs> comes into play. Usually uses a force. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's a quick decision. I, gotta, I see the need. I got to run in there. I got to do something. And the process maybe takes a matter of seconds. Uh, the situation is over. Well, now my real work begins, and that real work is documentation. There is not a, probably not a greater area in corrections in which documentation is huge uh, than when it involves a use of force. It is absolutely imperative that we document and document well our uses of force. Uh, to, to, to neglect that is to ask for the responsibility and the liability that comes with those uses of force. We want to implement that immunity that we have as public officials. We want that to happen. We want that to be on our side so that when the courts look at it, they can say, look, Warden Dawson, he's a corrections officer. He's a law enforcement professional. He's responsible for the safety and security of that facility. He's responsible for the care, the custody, and the control of those inmates. And he had to do this to maintain those standards. We want that immunity to apply. And one of the best ways we can show that that immunity should apply is in our documentation. So let's talk about that documentation. 
force is, the courts see that force is a legitimate option if an officer perceives a substantial threat to the safety, the security, the order, the discipline, the control, or any other legitimate peniological or jail interest. The court understands that use of force is going to be a legitimate option. But here's the deal. The courts weren't there. They didn't see what we saw. They didn't hear what we heard. They weren't in the dorm or the housing unit or the pod or, or whatever term you want to use. They weren't there. And so they don't know what we saw. They don't know what we heard. They don't know those things that we considered when we decided to use force. It's our job to paint the picture, if you will, and show them what we saw, explain to them what we heard, explain to them and help them understand our perceptions and the reason that we felt like it was necessary to do whatever it is that we did. So let's talk about some things that we can consider and put in our documentation so that the courts can understand why we did what we did. Uh, the first could be uh, this inmate that I was involved and you were involved in an altercation with. Has that prisoner, has that, that inmate, have they ever uh, attacked or attempted to attack an officer? If I had to use a, 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 a high amount of force in dealing with an inmate, uh, the level of justification is going to have to be equally as high. Well, if I know that that inmate has a proclivity towards assaulting or attacking officers if given a chance, and that, that's in my mind, I'm going to respond in preparation uh, for that. Has that inmate, do they have a tendency to behave in a violent, a threatening, or an aggressive manner? I'm not going to go in necessarily expecting to be able to just use officer presence or verbal commands because every time I deal with this inmate, He's violent, he's he's threatening, he's aggressive, so I went in expecting that to happen and prepared for that. Um, is that inmate insubordinate? Is he refusing normally or regularly to, to submit to legitimate orders and authority? Is that something that, that he makes a practice of or he did in this situation? I need to make sure I articulate that. Uh, is, the, is the inmate, is he damaging equipment or county property? Is that what's happening? Well, I need to make sure I articulate uh, what he was doing, how he was doing it, how that presented a risk, and therefore I use force. Was the inmate attempting to escape custody? <laughs> If that's what's going on, I need to make sure that I articulate, hey, this guy was trying to break out of jail. He was trying to run from a work detail. He was trying to escape, and therefore, I had to use force. Uh, was the inmate trying to incite other inmates uh, to engage in disorder or, or to be insubordinate or to disobey commands? Is that what was going on? Well, that inmate himself may not have been aggressive, but if he was the one inciting others, he was the mouth, so to speak, that was getting everybody else worked up, I'm going to have to deal with him. And so if I end up having to use force because he was the one inciting, I need to make sure I'm very clear about what he was saying, what he was doing, what I was seeing and feeling in that housing unit or that dorm, on the intensity level, the aggression level was growing, and so therefore I had to use force. I need to articulate that. Um, the knowledge that I may have or that you may have of the prisoner's history. If I've dealt with this inmate numerous times, and every time I've dealt with him or the majority of the time that I've dealt with him, he's been combative, he's been aggressive, he's been violent, he's been disruptive. I know that going into it. And, and that was part of the reason why I addressed him or dealt with him the way I did. Well, the courts need to know that. I need to maybe articulate 
some of those events or maybe say, you know, the last six times that I have dealt with inmate such and so, he's behaved this way. And so I came in expecting that to be the case. Um, does the inmate have some known fighting skills? Uh, you, you know, uh, this is a county jail uh, here that I'm the warden of. And so you have citizens of all walks of life and we have some veterans that have come through, uh, military veterans that have come through our facility. Well, these are folks that were trained in hand-to-hand -hand combat. They have have a skill set that goes beyond the normal citizen. If I know that, if I know that individual is is a um, they they uh, participate in martial arts, or, or maybe they're you know they participate in some kind of weapons training, or whatever the case may be. If I know they have those skills, I'm going to have to approach them a little differently. I may have to approach them a little more aggressively than I would the average inmate, if you will. I need to articulate that based on the fact that I know that inmate so-and-so is, is a black belt in jujitsu. Uh, I acted accordingly. Did I gain or you gain some intelligence or other information concerning the possibility of violence? If I know this dorm is about to break out into riot, I'm going to come in a little more aggressively than I were if I had one inmate who was disgruntled because uh, he didn't like what was served on the, on the lunch tray. <laughs> so... Uh, did I get some intelligence? Let me know. Hey, this is fixing to break off and it's fixing to be, it's fixing to be a bad deal. So I came in and I behaved this way. Uh, the size of the prisoner compared to the officer. That's a big deal. That matters. Uh, if, you know, if I'm, uh, I'm six one, just shy of 300 pounds, uh, I'm not going to be able to justify use of force. Uh, you know, if I'm dealing with a, let's say 115, 120 pound female, I'm not going to be able to, it's going to be hard for me to justify a great deal of force just because of the size differential. But if you reverse that, if you have a 115, 120 pound female officer and a 6'1", nearly 300 pound uh, male inmate, uh, that size differential puts her at a disadvantage and a risk just by being there. Uh, so that's a factor that, that I have to consider, you have to consider. I need to make sure that's in my documentation. Uh, whether or not the prisoner had a weapon. Uh, if the prisoner had a weapon, <laughs> I'm going to deal with them accordingly. I may, I, you know, if the, if the inmate's sitting there and he's empty-handed and he's just he's just upset, I might be able to get away with verbal command or officer presence, verbal commands, articulation of consequences. I may be able to get away with just you know soft hands, just trying to guide him. But if that inmate has a weapon in their hand and they refuse to put that weapon down, they're demonstrating by their possession of that weapon their willingness to cause harm either to themselves, someone else, or me. And so, therefore, I need to make sure I articulate that in my documentation. Uh, what about the number of prisoners involved? Or maybe the number of prisoners who are there and may become involved. That's going to impact my thinking, and that's going to impact the urgency that I feel about this use of force. I need to articulate that. How many people were in, were in the room or were in the dorm? Any circumstances that could intensify or maybe increase uh, the potential for this confrontation to to escalate seriously. I mean, if it's in the middle of you know somebody's flooded their cell and we're standing in ankle deep water, and and, and everybody's just losing their mind because there's water in the floor, and I need to get this handled. I need to get it handled now so we can get this situation resolved so that we can deal with the water in the floor. Hey, I need to make sure I articulate that in my documentation. Was the inmate uh, involved in some things that, that I genuinely believed, or my perception was, as we said before, that the, the inmate was attempting to uh, substantially undermine uh, discipline and order, control, safety, security of the jail? Well, if that's the case, 
I need to articulate that in my paperwork so that I can justify the force that I used. Bottom line, it could be that list that we just went through. Or it could be something totally different. Obviously not a comprehensive list. But I as the officer, you as the officer, we should explain in detail. I'm going to say that again. We should explain in detail the threats perceived based on what was observed, what was heard, what was known, or was reasonably believed at the time of the incident. And we need to explain the basis for those perceptions. This inmate has been disruptive or violent or aggressive in the past. And so when I saw this or I heard that, I was expecting the same thing. And so I responded in this manner. We need to be thorough and we need to be uh, explain in detail what our perceptions were of the situation. When I was a line officer, I was assigned to a, a mail pod uh, one evening. And as I'm in the tower observing the inmates on the floor uh, booking, they brought a, an inmate, a new inmate, uh, back from uh, from booking. He was being housed in our housing unit. And so the officer, they brought him back. They came to the tower, and, and they gave him the information, and they went to place the inmate in the housing unit. Well, I noticed as they entered the housing unit, the officer escorted the inmate into the housing unit to take him to his assigned bunk to show him where that bunk was. I'm watching the, the other inmates in the dorm, and I noticed that when that inmate uh, entered that housing unit, there was an inmate off in the corner who who keyed in. I mean, he zoned in automatically on that, in, that new inmate that had just walked in. I mean, he really focused. Well, as a corrections officer, that, that was something that was a red flag that jumped out at me. And so I really focused and paid attention to what was going on here. Well, the officer, he takes the inmate, shows him where his bunk is. The inmate puts his stuff down. The officer exits the housing unit, goes on about his business. And I'm still watching. Well, as soon as the officer, the escorting officer, exited the housing unit, the inmate who was over here in the corner and was watching, who was hawkeyeing this new inmate, as soon as that officer exited the housing unit, the door closed. Here he comes. He is making a beeline uh, for this new inmate. I told my partner, I said, man, something's fixing to go down. I'm going down there. And so as I started down, I took one last glance uh, through the window to, to, into that housing unit, and I saw this inmate, the one who was in the corner, who was Hawkeye the new inmate. He comes up behind the new inmate, and he just scoops him up under his arms and just picks him up off the floor. And I thought, oh, goodness, here we go. These guys have got a history. He owes him money, whatever. There's about to be a fight. So I hollered at my partner, call for backup, call the code, and I run down there. Well, by the time I get out of the tower and get around the tower and get to the housing unit door and make entrance, the inmate, the one who had been there before, the one doing the Hawkeye, now not only does he have the new inmate up off the ground, now this new inmate, yes, he's up off the ground, but now he's upside down and his head is facing the floor. Immediately in my mind, I'm thinking, this guy is fixing to slam this new inmate on the floor head first, probably going to kill him. So I come running in. I'm yelling as I cross the day room, put him down gently, put him down gently. And I draw my taser, which in retrospect probably wouldn't have been wise because if I tased him, he'd have dropped him. And then the guy would have been injured. But at the moment, anyway, I drew my taser and I pulled it up and I'm hollering and put him down, put him down. Well, as I'm running closer to the two inmates, I realize something. Everybody's laughing, including the two inmates, the one holding the other one upside down off the floor. Everybody's laughing. And so I stopped and I'm like, what is going on? Well, the end of the story is 
these two guys were cousins, hadn't seen each other for years, and apparently that family had some really weird, uh, you know, welcoming ritual. <laughs> I'm not sure what that was about. My point is this. My perception from the tower, my perception upon entering the housing unit was this inmate's life was in jeopardy. I was about to have to take action to save this inmate's life. Now, was that reality? No, it wasn't. They were just horseplaying, which, by the way, is against the inmate handbook, and I dealt with it accordingly. But my perception wasn't right. But in my documentation, I had to make sure that I articulated what I thought was happening. Now, thankfully, no force was necessary. Uh, the other officers responded to the call for help. We secured the two inmates, got them separated. That's when we figured out the story about them being family. But my documentation, I had to make sure that I articulated what I perceived the threat was. And guys, that's what we've got to do. Force is going to be necessary, and we're liable for it. The courts have given us a standard, a set of guidelines uh, to judge our use of force on. And so we can use those guidelines to say, yes, my force was justified. But let's make sure, let's make sure we document well, that we use extreme detail, that we're thorough, and we cover ourselves so that when it comes out and they say, hey, Officer Dawson used force, is it justified? Yes, it is. And here's why. We'll take these things, wear them out. I'm glad to be here with you. Godspeed to each of you, and as always, let's stay sharp, let's stay safe, let's stay vigilant.